We're in the book of Nahum. And Nahum is the sequel to Jonah. If you're new and you're joining us for the first time, we're spending the entire season and most of the month of August uh, walking through the minor prophets in a season called Reclaimed. We are reclaiming the message of old and applying it to our lives uh, today as we walk with Jesus in the times that we're in. And it's strikingly similar, right? So Nahum is the sequel to Jonah. If you remember, I'll give you a quick recap or you can go a couple weeks back on our YouTube and watch the whole thing. Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh. He turns and rebels, runs the opposite direction. God God brings him back. He asks him again. He gives him a second chance. Jonah comes back again, and Jonah yells to the people of Nineveh, you're all going to die. You're all going to be conquered. And the whole city repents. The king repents. The people repent. Even their animals repented and turned to the Lord. The whole city turns back to the Lord, and there is this kind of beautiful bow tied on it. Jonah throws a fit. He's pouting because he wanted to see Nineveh destroyed. And he says to God, I knew you were a compassionate, loving God, slow to anger and quick to give mercy. Beautiful, right? Remember Jonah? Yes? Those of you that are with us, you remember Jonah? Okay, here's the sequel. Sequel goes a little something like this. 100 years later, Nineveh rises to pride again. They rise to arrogance again. They decide they want to overthrow not just Samaria, but they want Judah as well. And if you go to 2 Kings 18, 9 through 18, I'm going to read some of this. It's in the sermon notes on our app and on our website. You can read uh, the whole passage. But let me give you an idea. And, And trust me, we're building to something here, right? So follow me in your mind. Jonah comes. Jonah preaches repentance. The whole city of Nineveh repents. 100 years later, here's where we're at. During the fourth year of Hezekiah's reign, which was the seventh year of King Hoshea's reign in Israel, King Shalmaneser of Assyria attacked the city of Samaria and besieged and, and, and began a siege against it. Three years later, during the sixth year of King Hezekiah's reign and the ninth year of King Hoshea's reign in Israel, Samaria fell. At that time, the king of Assyria exiled the Israelites to Assyria and placed them in colonies. We'll skip down. You'll just see it pick back up in verse 13. Man, Hezekiah had a rough kingship. He had a rough kingship. We're going to go through three invasions right now. So number one, Assyria comes. They smash Samaria. They exile all the Israelites. Come back again, verse 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib of Assyria came to attack the fortified towns of Judah and conquered them. So now we have Samaria to the north, Judah to the south. Both have been conquered. Both have been taken over by Assyria. Listen to Hezekiah's plea. King Hezekiah sent this message to the king of Assyria. I have done wrong. I will pay whatever tribute money you demand if you will only withdraw. So he goes to him. This is in his 14th year, two invasions. Everything's being decimated. Both territories have been taken over. And he says, listen, name your price. Name your price to make it all go away. The king of Assyria then demanded a settlement of more than 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. Verse 15, to gather this amount, King Hezekiah used all the silver stored in the temple of the Lord and in the palace treasury. Hezekiah even stripped the gold from the doors of the Lord's temple and from the doorposts he had overlaid with gold, and he gave it all 
to the Assyrian king. That's a sermon right there. Selling God's gold, right? What are you willing to pay? What are you, what's the price you're willing to pay? What are you willing to give away to just make it all stop? Or can you endure? So he does this, and he signs the deal. He strips the temple of gold. He takes all the silver out of the temple. He gives it to the king of Assyria. And you know what the king of Assyria does? Sends his commander-in-chief and smashes him again. Takes him over again. Third time, another invasion comes smashes them, overtakes them. Nahum rises up after all of this, right? So there's been three invasions. They've destroyed the north, they destroyed the south, and then they came back a third time just to remind them who's boss. They've given all of their silver away, all of their gold away. They have nothing. They've been destroyed. And then all of a sudden, Assyria rises to this power, and Nahum comes along, and he says, I have a message for you. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. So when you hear me say Assyria, we're still talking about Nineveh. It was the epicenter of all the chaos, right? So then he comes, Nahum comes, and he says, Nineveh, have I got a word for you. And you're not going to like this very much. The whole book of Nahum has this, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on, it's not happening to me again. I gave you a shot. You took that shot. They, listen, literally, Nineveh fell to their knees in repentance, but they rose to their feet in pride. Think about that for a second. They fell to their knees in repentance, but then they rose back up being this prideful nation that just caught a taste of what it would be like to have Samaria and Judah. So they, they conquer them, they take them over, and then they find themselves with the prophet of Nahum who comes, and he is saying, you are in a situation way over your head, and there is no resolution to it. You ever been in that kind of a situation? You just feel like you are so far in over your head and there is no coming back from it. How many of you know preachers should not pretend to be mechanics? I mean, preachers should not pretend. I have a mechanic friend and I had this sensor go out on my truck. And I called him and I was like, hey man, uh, how much is it going to cost me to fix this sensor? And he said, oh, man, that's a really, really difficult sensor. Uh, man, we, there's a lot of stuff we've got to do. Um, I, it's probably going to be around six, 700 bucks. I was like, what? You're out of your mind. I thought we were friends. He's like, dude, I am. That's the friend price, right? I was like, no, no, I got this. So I call down to O'Reilly's. I get the price for the sensor, 225 bucks. I'm like, man, I thought we were friends. Guy's ripping me off, Right? Get on YouTube, I search the sensor, and I watch a guy in 12 minutes change this sensor. 12-minute YouTube video. I'm like, okay, if I am like three times worse than the expert, right, and he did in 12 minutes, I should be able to knock this out in 36 minutes. Like, this shouldn't be a problem. So I've got my, I've got my phone right here. I've got the hood up, and I've got YouTube on, and I, I press play, and I watch him, and he takes off this air deal, and then he takes off this tube that's going over this, and then he starts taking off these other things, and I'm just like, I'm following along, and I'm trying to get it right, and then I think I took off the wrong tube, so I put that tube back on, and I, I undo this one, and I take this thing off, and then I'm, I'm finding myself, it was like an hour and a half before I was just ready like an hour and a half goes by, I've got all of these parts here, and then I get to the back, and then in the back, it's like, okay, and he's saying on the video, he's like, now, you have to do this by feel. And I'm like, wait, what? 
I think I scrubbed past this part in the video. He's like, you, you reach around and you can feel the end of the sensor and then you start to undo the sensor. He said, now the only problem you could run into is if it won't come loose by hand. Guess what's happening? It's not, it's, I can't even, I can't even, like I'm reaching around, I'm climbing, I'm standing on a folding chair, right? Leaning over the back end of my truck, I got parts everywhere, and I'm trying to get this, and finally, after like three or four hours of just messing with it, the sun is going down, I can't figure it out, I'm leaving comments on this YouTube video, this guy's a liar, you know? Don't do anything he tells you to do. <laughs> there is, this is not true, this is fake. Thumbs down on the video, right? And so I called my friend, and I was like, hey, Neil. <laughs> He's like, hey, man, what's up? What's up? And I said, man, I'm in a bind. And he said, tell me you didn't try to do it yourself. And I was like, man, look, I, 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 like, can you help me? And he said to me, it's going to cost you a whole lot more now than it would have before. And I said, why? And he said, can you put your truck back together? I said, no, like, I don't even know if I took off the right tubes. Like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. And he's like, okay, long story short, he sent it. We had to get a tow truck to tow it to them. The tow truck towed it to them. I took off one of the wrong parts. I forgot one of the parts. I couldn't find it anywhere. And afterwards, he looks at me, and he says, you should have listened to me. Dude, you should have listened to me the first time. Why didn't you listen to me when I told you it was hard? It could have been a five, $600 deal. Now you're paying that in towing. Like, what were you trying to? That, that's the book of Nahum, right? Nahum is coming, and he is saying, you should have listened to God the first time. You should have done what he said the first time. And now that you didn't, and you didn't listen to Jonah, and you didn't listen to the message, here is what I have for you. Now, we're going to break the rubric a little bit today because the book of Nahum is pure judgment. It is just 100% judgment to Nineveh. You guys have rebelled again. You've done this again. But nestled into this, this book about rebellion and about judgment, God gives three of, of just beautiful promises of who he still is in the midst of his destruction of Nineveh. Now, for us to do this, and remember, if you've been with us for a while, we followed this case for judgment, the call to repentance, and the covenant of restoration. We're going to do the case for judgment, and then we're going to shift gears. And, and I want you to see who God is in the midst of his anger. I want you to see who God is in the midst of his frustration. I want you to see the character of God, even Old Testament to New. I want you to see who God really is when we deserve the punishment, when everything that we have done is saying, you don't deserve my grace, you don't deserve my mercy, you don't deserve a refuge, you don't deserve restoration, yet I can't help myself, here's who I am. So let me give you the case for judgment, because I think contextually that helps us walk through the next three. Here are just several passages. It's a three-chapter book. You can read all three, or I'll give you the cliff notes now. Listen to this judgment. Nahum 1.14, and, and this is what the Lord says concerning the Assyrians in Nineveh. You will have no more children to carry on your name. I will destroy all the idols in the temples of your gods. I am preparing a grave for you because you are despicable. Because you are despicable, I'm preparing a grave for you. You're not even going to have someone continue the family tree. Let's just stop right there. I mean, do we need to keep going? Okay, Nineveh 2, 13. 
I am your enemy. Four words you never want to hear God say. I am your enemy. I am against you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Your chariots will soon go up in smoke. Your young men will be killed in battle. Never again will you plunder conquered nations. The voices of your proud messengers will be heard no more. Nahum 3.1, what sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies. She is crammed with wealth and is never without victims. One more from chapter 3, 4 through 5. All this because Nineveh, the beautiful and faithless city, mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with her beauty. She taught them all her magic, enchanting people everywhere. I am your enemy. Just in case they didn't get it the first time, he says it again. I am against you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And now I will lift your skirts and show all the earth your nakedness and shame. Wow. Pretty intense, right? Nineveh, like, I, I just think about this. This is a place where, and here's what happened. Here, here's what I think sits with me. Nineveh's judgment is coming not because they rebelled, but because they rebelled again. Because they did it again after the entire nation turns around, falls to their knees, and they're worshiping God. And one century later, they have completely abandoned it for their old ways, for the old thing. Listen, if if we don't learn from our moments of brokenness, they just become times of inspiration with no transformation. If they don't sit in our soul, Jesus calls this the rocky soil in Matthew chapter 13. He says, and then some seed fell on rocky soil, and it bursted up in excitement, and then all of the sudden, the sun quenched it, and it died out. What he's saying is moments of of, of feeling this brokenness that don't lead to change within you is just an inspirational moment, but it has no transformation attached to it. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. And I'm not picking on you. I'm trying to encourage you. But do you know how many people have met me behind these curtains after a Sunday morning in tears talking about the deep work that Jesus is doing in their life? How today he touched them and his presence turned them around and they're going to walk away from their sin. They're going to restore their marriage. They're going to love their family. They're going to raise their kids in church and they don't see him for six months. And then six months goes by and the same come back and guess what? Same story again. Why? Because there are moments of brokenness that we're not learning from. That's the judgment, right? That's what he's coming to Nineveh and saying. It sounds like this today. I swear I won't look at it again. And a month later, it's back in your browser history. I swear it was just one time. I'll never do it again. And a year later, you find more text messages. It sounds like I'm done with drinking. I'm never going to touch the bottle again. And there's a stressful week and lots of pressure and everything builds up. And all of a sudden, she comes home and it's so strong on your breath and you can't stand without stumbling and you're giggling at nothing. And she's saying, what happened? I thought you said we wouldn't be here again. Moments of brokenness that never led to transformation. So what do we do with all of this? Where do we go with all of this? Because God's mad. God's upset about it. 
and he's given us the chance and we've fallen to our knees and we've given our heart to him and now we're here again saying, okay, now what do I do with this situation that I have? Here's what I love about the book of Nahum. You're going to see three, and these are the only three. I would encourage you, go home and read. It'll take you 15 minutes after church today. There are three moments where God breaks character. It is pure judgment. It is pure you have rebelled. This is what you deserve, but this is who I am. Let's look at them. Number one, Nahum 1 verse 3. Think about this. In a book where Nahum is coming and he is saying, it's over for you. And it really happened, by the way. The battle of Assyria in, in, in uh, 612 BC was when Assyria took over Israel. And then remember, Babylon overthrows Assyria. The Babylonian captivity begins for the children of Israel. It didn't start with Babylon. It started with Assyria. Assyria was the one who took over Samaria, took over Judah, and then Babylon took over them in 612 BC. So everything that Nahum said happened. Everything that he called, he said, listen, destruction is coming, your gates are going to be plundered, your cities are going to be burned, and you guys are going to be destroyed. Babylon did all of that. Yet here it is in the midst of it, Nahum 1.3, the Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great. Now listen to this, and don't, don't miss this, and don't take it as judgment. Don't read it through a legalistic lens, but see the fulfillment of this in Jesus. And he never lets the guilty go unpunished. Never. He never lets the guilty go unpunished. Is that true for today? Yes. Let me explain it to you. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. It says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold and silver. Hezekiah couldn't pay for it. The temple gold couldn't pay for it. The silver from the temple couldn't pay for it. It's not paid for gold and silver, which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Nahum is saying the guilty aren't going unpunished. The only difference is God took our guilt and he placed it on someone other than us. I think we miss this when we talk about grace. God is gracious, meaning I think in our minds we think he is not giving me what I deserve. That is true, but that is only true because he placed it on Jesus. That's the weight that we should carry. Not that God turned a blind eye. No, God put it all, as Isaiah 53 would tell us, on the shoulders of Jesus who took it to the cross for us. It's not that God no longer punishes the guilty. It's that he already has and we don't have to bear the cross of it. That's the difference. My two sons the other day, they, they were messing around and all of a sudden I come out and there's crayon colored all over, all, like all over everything. One's seven, one's two. Who do you think the culprit is? I don't know. <laughs> They're both wild boys, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm very frustrated in a righteous way, right? Righteous anger. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated and I said, someone is getting a spanking for this. And Zadok runs away, said, no spanking, no spanking, no spanking, no spanking. I said, come here. Right now I start walking towards him. And Canaan says, dad, dad, wait. Dad, wait. And I'm like, are you my little Jesus? Are you going to do this? And he says, dad, dad, don't, don't spank him. And I said, why? And he said, well, I, I, gave, him, I gave him the crown. And I said, well, I got a spanking to give. Who's getting it? 
And he said, well, I, Dad, do you have to? I said, that's it. I'm getting, I'm getting. And he said, no, no, Dad. Wait. And he said, just spank me. And I, right. Why you got to be Jesus right now? I want to spank somebody. So I'm like, come here. Come here real quick. We're going to teach Zadok a lesson. <laughs> I said, just fake cry for me. Okay, so he turns around, and I'm like, all right, Zadok, someone drew on this, and someone's getting a spanking. And I rear way back, and I put my hand right there, and I went, oh, and Canaan goes, ow. <laughs> and I said, Zadok, did you do anything too? He said, no, no spanking, no spanking. <laughs> But his punishment went to somebody else, right? We, we have to wrap our minds around grace. Grace is not God has, God has just turned a blind eye to it. Grace is not God looked away and didn't give me what I deserve. No, God gave everything that you deserve to Jesus. That's the message that is birthing from Nahum, is this, that there is a resolution, and God does not let the guilty go unpunished, but to resolve that, it's not us, it's Jesus. That's the message that we carry today. That's the heart that we carry today, is that I deserved every ounce and weight of the punishment. And it's not that God just said, ah, I'll just forget about it. No, it's God said, I've already handled it for you. The second one is this. He gives them a refuge. He gives them a place to run to. In the middle of not having anywhere to go, Nahum 1.7, it says, the Lord is good. A strong refuge. If you have your Bible, circle that word. A strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. That Hebrew word for refuge is literally in the Greek, it's, it's rock. They just repeat it, it's just, they just call it rock in the New Testament, in the Old. It is, it, me, it is the idea of a fortress built out of rocks that is impenetrable, okay? So during this time period, the fear of invasion was real. Obviously, we're talking about it, right? Israel experienced it three times at the hands of Assyria. So what they would do is try to build these fortresses out of rocks that were impenetrable. They would just build these massive walls. They'd connect all these rocks together and stones and do everything they could to get it to a place where it couldn't be penetrated. And here is Nahum, and he's coming up, and he is saying, you're going to be destroyed, but you still have a safe place to go. You're about to be destroyed, but there is a refuge. This was the message of David. If you look at 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-three, 33, it says, God is my strong fortress, same word, and he makes my way perfect. He declared this throughout the psalm. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress. He's saying he's the one place I can go where I, I can have a safety and where I can have a refuge. The Lord is, is my fortress. He's protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Psalm 28, 8, the Lord gives his people strength. He is a safe fortress for his anointed king. Psalm 31, 2 says, turn your ear to listen to me. Rescue me quickly by my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. My, uh, I have a family member who is terrified of tornadoes. Like overly phobic, I don't know what you call it, but he's got it, right? So he bought this, 
this like tornado shelter thing. You know what I mean? It looks like a bomb shelter and had it installed in his garage. Like it, it is, it's got these really thick steel walls on it. It's bolted into the foundation. And it is, it's really funny because it, it has room for two and he's got four in his family. <laughs> Talk about Hunger Games, right? <laughs> the two that's locked out. So he's got, and I mean, it is, it is right, and he's got some water piled up in there. And he's got all, I mean, a thunderstorm happens, and he's sitting in there. He's terrified of these things. So I'm looking at it, and we're talking about it, and I said, what happens if a tornado rolls, and he, he's like telling me all the facts. He's like, you could run into this thing with a semi-truck at 70 miles an hour. And it's stopping it, right? Run into it with a train. God cannot take down my tornado shelter, right? So I said, okay, what happens if a tornado crushes your entire home and it falls right on top of your storm shelter? Walks in there. Like opens this giant steel door, takes this sat phone out. And on the back of the sat phone, there's a number. And he said, glad you asked. I take this phone, I call this number, within 48 hours, emergency response team shows up. <laughs> like, how ate up do you have to be, right? And he's like, 48 hours, emergency response team, I'm out, right? I'm out of this thing. And I thought that was, it was funny, it's ironic. He's not even in a high tornado area. That's, a, that's the funny part, right? But he has a safe space that he can go. When we talk about refuge, when we talk about somewhere we can turn, you have to realize this. God is the place you can turn with your pain just as much as you can turn to him with your praise. We turn to God in praise, and we're so excited to turn to him in praise. But in pain, sometimes we sink back and say, where do I go? Where is the safe space for me to turn to? Where is the refuge that I can run to? God was giving the people who would trust in him not a safe space to praise, but a safe space for their pain. A safe space to go to when everything else was falling apart. And then he finishes here. Nahum 1.15. This is so cool. Because, again, contextually, these are people who have no hope. Like He's like, you guys are going to be destroyed, but let me remind you who God is. Look, a messenger is coming over the mountains with good news. He's bringing a message of peace. Celebrate your festivals, O people of Judah, and fulfill all your vows. For your wicked enemies will never invade your land again. They will be completely destroyed. Look over the mountains and see the messenger of peace. I love that. We have a messenger, and he is a messenger of peace. He is bringing peace peace to the situation, to a time when everything was going to be chaotic and unpeaceful. He is the messenger of peace. To a time when everything is going to be messed up and not anything is going to make sense, he is the messenger of peace. Isaiah was prophesying during the same time. In Isaiah 52, 7, he says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Romans 10, 15, Paul declares it, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the image. This is the image. 
that yes, it may all be falling apart, but there is a messenger of peace. And that messenger of peace is bringing a hope that we can find beyond circumstance, in circumstance, or moving into a new situation. He is the God of peace. He gives them this visual to look over the horizons and see no matter how bad it is that we have a refuge, that we have a restoration, and we have a place that we can turn to in Jesus, who is our messenger of peace. I'm in this phase again where, um, so uh, my kids, right, Zion only loves me for the Chick-fil-A. If I don't show up with Chick-fil-A, she doesn't even acknowledge me, right? Get it? Okay. Canaan is too cool for school. He's got YouTube, so I am already uncool dad. Happened way faster than I thought it would, right? I'm thinking, ah, he's seven. I got to like 13, 14 to be cool. No, I'm out. He's like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to do the gritty, right? Like, what's wrong, son? I, I, we, were, we, were, we were playing basketball in the driveway. I hit his shot. I was like, ah. And he's with his friend. He's like, Dad, what are you doing? I was like, I'm doing the gritty. And he was like, no, Dad, Dad, don't. It's like, oh, man, already. So Zion, Chick-fil-A, Canaan, I'm not cool anymore. But Zadok, Zadok. He's two, and he's in this phase where, I mean, guys, you know this if you've experienced this, right? Daddy's home. Isn't it the best? I'll start crying. Don't get me crying. Don't get me silly. I told you last week, right? Two things have happened. I'm queasy, and I cry a lot now. Like, I don't know if it's all these kids or what. Daddy's home, and he can hear me when I get home, and I punch in the butt. It is the most beautiful thing on the face of the planet. I open the doors and here he, I mean full sprint, right? If I don't catch him, he is head first right into me or straight out the door, right? And I open the door and he, he gets running so he's, he's, he's top heavy, right? He's got this giant watermelon head on him and this little bitty body and he's like running like this and he's, he's just top heavy and he's screaming, daddy, 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 and he comes running around the corner and I catch him and I sweep him up and I'm like, finally, I got another daddy's home. Finally, I get it. It's the best part of my day. And then I walk in, I'm like, where, Canaan, come on, where's he? And he's like, daddy's home, hey. And Zion's searching my backpack for Chick-fil-A, but I'm back at it, right? I'm in the moment where daddy is home. That's the cry of the heart of Israel. He's saying to them, look over the mountaintops, a messenger of peace is coming. And when he comes, daddy is home. You'll have a reason to celebrate again. You'll have a reason to cheer again. You'll have a reason to hope again. You'll have a reason to love again. You'll have a reason to live again because the good feet of the messenger of peace is coming.